football law specifically is almost a bit contractual in the sense that FIFA has its member associations, so UEFA being for Europe and then the AFC being for Asia, etc. And then within those member associations, you have the relevant national associations and then you have the clubs that are associated with national associations. So it's a bit like a pyramid almost. everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate courses and master's degrees alongside an award-winning pro bono clinic so you can build up your legal experience while studying. And their experienced career service will enable you to put your best foot forward when launching your legal career. The courses are employment focused and based on real legal practice so you'll be better prepared for the workplace. Part-time and online study options are available so you can work and study at the same time. Click the link in the description box of the podcast to find out more about the courses on offer. Hello everyone, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie, I'm a current law student, future trainee solicitor and I'm the host of today's episode. Joining me today is Dan Kirschlisner, Junior Legal Counsel at FIFA. During the episode, Dan explains what aspiring sports lawyers can expect from a career at FIFA, the characteristics that FIFA look for in its legal counsel, and the steps that aspiring sports lawyers should take in order to secure a role at FIFA. Dan also talks about the future of FIFA, including its place in the metaverse, and the most prominent legal issues likely to arise in the upcoming years. He also gives his opinion on who will win the World Cup, so make sure you stick around for that. Dan, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. It's wonderful to have you here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Honestly, the pleasure is all ours, and I am um, really excited to find out exactly what in-house counsel at FIFA do. And so, you know, I just feel, um, well really honoured to have you here with us today because um, I imagine that uh, your time is you know very valuable and you must be always in demand always on the go so um, yeah thank you very much for um, sparing the time to join us and to uh, yeah give an insight into your um, career. No sure look forward to look forward to talking. (laughs) Cool. So I thought that we could kick off the episode uh, by having you introduce yourself um, and perhaps you could explain, you know, your career history to date and briefly explain what your role as junior counsel at FIFA entails. Sure. So, um, yeah, my parents are Italian and Romanian. I was born in Italy. Um, This is like a bit of an oddity, I suppose. I, yeah, I was born in Italy. I grew up in Germany. Spent 10 years in school there and then I transferred to England. Uh, I did sixth form um, for two years and studied an undergrad at the LSE. Did also an LLM there and then at the same time as doing the LLM, I did the LPC because it was a bit of an opportune time, I would say, because of COVID and everything, doing uh, my studies remotely. It allowed me to do more than one thing at a time. Following that, I did a master's in Madrid at ISTE, Instituto Superior de Derecho Economía, in international sports law. And uh, I think that was probably the key turning point for me while I was doing that master. Um, I'd applied for the position at FIFA as junior legal counsel. And um, yeah, I got it, I suppose. And yeah, since April 2022, I've been, I've been working here uh, in the player status department. How exciting. I mean, your education and, you know, your your journey into um, into FIFA is just really interesting. It sounds like like so many different experiences that all, you know, have, um, I suppose, contributed to where you are today. So, yeah, it's great to see such kind of like diverse background um, and what, you know, diverse background and interests can um, achieve later on. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd done a couple of internships, which 
in one way or another, I think, were related to sports law. Um, so after my first year at university, I'd done an internship at Farenko. Um, I was doing a bit of employment law there and also child safeguarding, um, which I think both have a footing in sports law, specifically in football. Uh, Second year, I'd been at Freshfield and I'd done uh, commercial law, a bit of IP, uh, corporate M&A. So I was there for two months. And in my third year, I had gone to Romania. I'd worked in the legal department at the uh, National Football League. And I mean, there's a couple of different responsibilities that you have in such a position um you know you go from negotiating not that i did those things personally but you know having experienced those during my internship there was uh, negotiating broadcasting rights different regulatory uh issues disciplinary specifically with regards to you know red cards and things and appeals of certain sanctions during games um health and safety during football games and stadiums and what was really interesting about that work experience was that it was during the COVID time. And so it was one of those uh, experiences where because not many people had been in the office at the time, it was very dynamic. And also it was a bit unprecedented because you had to reschedule many games. You had to be in line with all the national uh, health regulations and COVID regulations to make sure that there weren't any contraventions. So that was really uh very, very interesting. So I think combined with all of those, uh, I had built up some kind of an understanding of what sports law was. And yeah, I think, uh, yeah, they were all valuable in their own way. Absolutely. Kind of like layering on these experience to um, really get a full picture, which I think is just great. Um, So can you tell us what exactly is sports law? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very broad concept you could almost see it as an umbrella um i mean take football for instance uh, there's so many various you know areas such as intellectual property there's labor law obviously between for example players and clubs or coaches and clubs there's contractual when there is a transfer agreement between one club and another um you know, there is, as I mentioned, child safeguarding, human rights, things like that, anti-discrimination. Um, so all of these things come under this umbrella of sports law or football law. And um, I suppose what I'm specializing in is regulatory. So FIFA has its own regulations uh, and statutes with regards to the various areas of, of football. And um yeah, I'm 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 based in that area, and football law, football law specifically is almost a bit contractual in the sense that FIFA has its member associations, um, so UEFA being for Europe, and then the AFC being for Asia, etc. Uh, and then within those member associations, you have the relevant national associations, and then you have the clubs that are associated to the national associations. So it's a bit like a pyramid almost, and these regulations sort of trickle down through this entire pyramid and they they regulate how football works in practice so it's it's really fascinating in my opinion at least i see absolutely so so essentially sports law sports lawyers will specialize in say an area of like a practice area um but be but specialize in you know the area of sport they would apply that then legal knowledge to sports Yes, exactly. I mean, I think especially the big legal practice, obviously there are some which maybe they speci- they specialize on contractual, the contractual part of the law or the IP part of the law or media. Um, I think there's also several big law firms within the sports realm that deal with all of these things and they have specialists within their respective areas. But um, yeah, I think sports law in itself is a is a self-contained creature um and it has it has rules that you know there's this term the specificity of sport which applies to what we do in a sense so yeah it's 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 very interesting excellent um so come tell us why uh, why did you decide to pursue a career of fifa well i mean i think Probably the majority of boys, when they're young, they play football. You know, football is a big passion. And I think uh, football captivates people like 
few other things in life do. So I think my personal passion also growing up was a big part in that. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, my my entire family was involved in, well, not involved in football, but, you know, I was playing football. I had family members who had, you know, been coaches at amateur level. Um, my mum's uncle, he used to be an agent in Romania. And my mum used to tell me all these stories about, you know, what it was like being an agent at the time, specifically, you know, in communist Romania, it was fascinating to see how uh, football could almost cross those borders of the Iron Curtain. I think a sports agent is such a cool career, by the way. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's become more relevant than ever today because the market's so fast paced and it's expanding, you know, every day. So. I think especially nowadays, uh, you talk about football, you can't really see it without agents. Uh, you know, football is really central to the game more so than they used to be. Uh, and since the Bosman ruling and everything, footballers have really moved into the center of the, of the picture. Um, but yeah, I think these early family experiences really uh, planted a seed and m created this allure for me to, to seek a career in football. So you decided to pursue a career in, in FIFA because, you know, it's FIFA. It, it was your, um, you had kind of like sports and football um, within your life, like from childhood growing up. Yeah. Um, and I can understand why you decided to, um, you know, uh, secure a, um, a role with FIFA. But um, I'm just wondering, because you mentioned, you know, there's other large firms that do specialise in sports law. Is there is there a big difference between working in um, in house or, or in private practice and then working in the in the sports um, sports law team? I mean, I suppose the the nice thing about football is that you know whether you work in regulatory like I do or in private practice, it is football at the end of the day. So it, it carries that same passion. Um, I personally found regulatory more fascinating than I did private practice because I think you're really at the core of where the changes to the way that football works in practice happens um not to say that private practice isn't great you know I mean I've got colleagues that work in private practice at law firms or in-house counsel at football clubs and or you know even other areas of law like uh, media marketing agency so I think they're all great areas. I think just for me personally, I I found the the keenest interest in 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 the regulatory area. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, thanks for sharing that. None worries. Um, so is working at FIFA as glamorous as it sounds? Glamorous is a big word. Yes, I mean I think. Look, I'm passionate about football, and I think anyone who works at FIFA has passion about football and you know i revert to my previous point that football captivates people like no other sports at least in my personal opinion but you know it is the most popular sport in the world objectively speaking i think so yeah i mean the world cup final has the most spectators out of any sporting events anywhere so i think it's one billion people watched the world cup final in 2018 wow. Which is crazy when you think of. It. I think the Super Bowl only had a hundred million. No so, way. And even the Super the Super Bowl is such a huge event, but yeah. just shows you that you know on every single continent. I mean, American football is largely followed in America, but anywhere you go in the world, you can show a picture of Messi or Ronaldo, and children will recognize them. You know, mm -hmm. so I think that's the power of football. But yeah, I think returning to your question about glamour and allure. For me personally, it's more so um, my own passion for football, which makes it exciting to work here. Um, and I think people, when they hear about FIFA, they think that, oh, you know, it's football and it's amazing to be working in football. But I suppose that you could say the same thing about if you work in music or in arts, uh, I think compared to maybe and my, my line manager is going to hate me for this but if compared to like tax law or something um i think working in a leisure or entertainment or art sector is much more exciting than working strictly with regulations or numbers so i think that's a big part of it as well 
you get to uh, go out with clients or, or do you, have you like met any and um, have you met any of the footballers? No, not yet, not yet. I mean, yeah. back in the day, what we we had the Ballon d'Or, which is obviously now uh, under the auspices of France football. But um, there used to be, at least from the stories that I hear, these uh, these big events where the Ballon d'Or used to be handed out and employees at FIFA would be able to chaperone these famous footballers. Uh, but I think depending on, you know, whether or not these uh, these awards still get handed out in the future, I'll probably get to meet a few of the famous footballers. But um, no, so far I haven't met anyone. Well... I'm sure that your time will come when you are, um, you know, working on extraordinary things, you know, later on in your career. And uh, fingers crossed, it will be the ultimate, like, glamour, total allure. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing lots of stories of, you know, you out with clients and um, having just the most fantastic and glamorous time. Yeah. <laughs> TSL X Dan, stay tuned, part two. <laughs> Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you work, you know, on regulatory matters, but you know, in FIFA, in-house counsel, is there like transactional, advisory, litigious matters going on? You know, what what's it what is the work like there? I mean, we so essentially we have our own judicial body it's called the football tribunal and um within the remit of the football tribunal there are you know certain in line with our regulations there are areas of law which each department touches upon you know there's a there's a system called training compensation which when young footballers that turn out to be big talents get developed by these clubs it's a mechanism that um these small clubs that did the work in the early days um, gets rewarded in a sense. There is a player status department that I'm in, which primarily deals with um, labor law and contractual disputes. And so, uh, you know, there's registration and eligibility, which uh, ensures that all the registrations of the players, um, you know, going back to what we mentioned earlier about uh, affiliation to clubs and to associations, you know, there has to be some kind of record of that. Um, and that's what that team deals with. And yeah, the football tribunal renders these decisions. It's this adjudicative mechanism, which is completely free players and coaches. Whenever they're parties to a dispute, they can access the football tribunal without any costs. Um, you know, it's completely international. It, it operates in three languages in English, French, and Spanish. And we render decisions which are subsequently enforced through our regulations. So for example, if a say a player has a dispute with his club and the football tribunal renders a decision in which it states that the club had a debt towards the player in that situation um and this is all in our regulations it's article 24 of the rstp uh if the club doesn't follow up with that decision and it doesn't pay the player within 45 days of the decision being rendered then there is a an internal mechanism in which sanctions are imposed, such as a restriction on hiring new players, um, which uh, which is imposed by us and which is processed by us. So it's you know it's really fascinating how, as a player, you can you can lodge a claim and it gets processed, and it's an easy way with incredible levels of uh, access to justice, um, you know, for players to be able to to seek uh, remedies. So yeah, that's that's in a nutshell what we do yeah that's really interesting um so can you talk to us about some of your main tasks and responsibilities and um, perhaps you could you know talk us through a day in the life of a junior uh junior legal counsel at fifa i mean the legal team what we essentially do is we we act i think the best way to describe it would be we act as the general secretariat of the football tribunal so we we assist the respective panels and the judges in uh, the process when a claim is lodged before the football tribunal uh, in various ways. And um, beyond that, you know, there is work that goes uh, across departments. So even though, for example, I might deal with um, contractual disputes, 
uh, I might also be asked to help uh, the department that maybe hasn't appealed before the Court of Arbitration of Sports um, or things like that. What we also get is info requests. So various stakeholders in football uh, might send us emails or call us and ask, how do the regulations work? Um, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? And we can't give specific legal advice, um, but we can point them in the right direction with regards to how our regulations work. Um, so we try to assist the stakeholders in that way as far as possible without, you know, providing a legal, uh, you know, without providing legal advice. Um, and yeah, I think those are pretty much the main tasks that we have as, as legal counsels. Um, obviously, there is also some things like helping judges when they come and visit us at the at the at the headquarters um other kinds of services like that but you know when you say judges what do you, who do you mean so the, the judges of the football tribunal okay. uh, so the football tribunal has two chambers it has the dispute resolution chamber um which deals with uh disputes between players and clubs and then we have the player status chamber which deals with disputes between coaches and clubs and clubs and clubs. And so each chamber has different judges and chair people and um, they're responsible for rendering decisions. And so whenever they're visiting, we, you know, meet with them and host them. And yeah, that's another one of the, of the responsibilities that might come across uh, in a daily, you know, in the daily life of a legal counsel. That's really interesting. I had no idea that it worked like this. Um, no idea. It's very interesting also like the, the legal status of it because it's not strictly speaking an arbitral tribunal, at least not uh, at the moment, but like based on the jurisprudence of the Swiss Federal Tribunal and of the Court of Arbitration of Sport. Um, so it's really self-contained. And yeah, again, I mean, we talked about it earlier, the enforcement mechanism and how you can seek remedies from anywhere around the world for free is is really cool so yeah i think it's really unique in in that sense excellent um so i appreciate you probably can't go into really like specific details uh due to um you know privacy and confidentiality but i was wondering if you could talk to us about um well, about a, maybe a case or a, or a matter that you've worked on that you may be particularly proud of. And before you go on, like, I do you call them cases or matters? How do you refer to the issues that you're working on? Cases, matters, um, those are the two primary uh, nomenclatures. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I think interest is a very broad term because a case can be interesting for various reasons or very it can it can be satisfying for various reasons i think obviously there are some there are cases with complex legal issues which yeah i've been i'm that sort of person that i like the law because it works very logically almost mathematically you know you have to find a certain nugget of information and apply it to a certain situation to, to solve the puzzle um I'm like so that. I'm, I love doing problem questions at uni. Yeah, no, That's they're, they're, kind of, same kind of logic. They're fascinating. Yeah, so I think because of that, legally complex issues with things that don't necessarily happen too frequently, those are very satisfying. But what I learned over the past couple of months and what was really satisfying about the work is the fact that you know, you mentioned glamour earlier. Yeah, the football. Immediately when you talk about football, you think about the big players and the big clubs yeah. and the large transfer sums. But actually, the majority of claims that we receive um, maybe have a bit of a more modest value. But at the same time, when the tribunal reaches a decision, which might be just for a few thousand euros or pounds, and it helps that specific player out massively because you know they've been working for six months without receiving their salary and then they're awarded that sum and they have the certainty that with this decision from fifa um they'll be able to get what they're owed your work actually has a massive impact on that person's life so 
things like that are extremely satisfying. And I think when you have cases that are like that without, you know, going into specific detail, um, it's almost like, you know, sometimes you maybe get a call after the case of saying, thank you for, you know, dealing with it so quickly. I mean, FIFA generally passes a decision from the instant that they receive the claim within two months, which, for example, at the Court of Arbitration of Sports, I think it can be up to six months, if not longer. And I don't know how long it is for uh, ordinary courts or civil courts, but I'm sure that, you know, two months is a very... It sounds quick to me. Yeah, I mean, speaking from personal experience, uh, I think civil court claims, they can take a very long time, especially with the various rounds of submissions and negotiating settlements and things like that. FIFA provides a very quick uh, dispute resolution service. And yeah, that's one of its great advantages. And so when we deal with an issue in the time that we do and with the efficiency and quality that we do, it like the gratitude that occasionally you get from 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 parties and from players that maybe submit claims. It, that's also a big satisfactory part. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like just knowing that you have made such a a, a difference to somebody's life. You know, um, can, it doesn't matter if it's not one of those you know big money cases or you know front page of the headline. It's it's I don't want to say it's the small things because it's not a small thing to an individual's life, but yeah, I mean everything's um, relative. Comparing it, yeah, yeah. So no, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, I'd like to take a moment to speak about the University of Law, which is the university I decided to study my LPC at. The University of Law is the sponsor of this podcast and makes it possible for us to continue bringing these episodes to you. So we really appreciate you supporting us by supporting our sponsors. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. The University of Law's experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life legal experience which can boost employability. They offer a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students excel at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. If you'd like to find out more about the courses on offer, please click the link in the description box of the podcast. So those are cases that you may have worked on in the past. Mm-hmm cases matters what do you think are the most prominent legal issues that are likely to arise in the future it's a good question i mean football is such a fast-paced industry that um any way that the market develops and the demands of the market you know develop fifa has to regulate that in some sort of way so i don't want to give like a a very generic answer but that's really the truth that depending on what the most prominent issue in football is that's what fifa has to deal with at that certain moment in time so i mean to give you an example which is at the moment you could say the talk of the town in the football industry is uh agency um you know we talked about earlier the role of agents and how prominent they are uh Next year, we're releasing a new set of agents regulations, which are going to focus specifically on how um, that part of of the game is regulated um, and the relationship between players and agents or clubs and agents. Um, And so because that's such a prominent uh, matter in the football industry, um, that's sort of at the forefront of what that department of FIFA is doing. Um, so yeah, again, it's very it's very much linked to the reality, and I think that's what makes it cool as well. Because um, it's always nice to be at the pulse of football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it sounds like you need to, you know, be one step ahead of the game. Excuse the pun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I feel like that's my first joke on one of these podcasts. So um, as we're talking about the future, you know, of um, of FIFA. What is FIFA's role, do you think, in the metaverse? 
I mean, it's an interesting one because I think the metaverse and cryptocurrencies haven't been huge topics in football for a long time. Uh, one of the most circulated news stories last year was that Messi's contract is PSG. Um, part of his remuneration was in in, in cryptocurrency. Okay. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, at the moment isn't necessarily regulated, but in the future at some point I could see that, you know, being, you know, in the focus of, of what we're, of what we're changing. Um, with regards to other things in the metaverse, I mean, specifically with the World Cup now, uh, we've had this partnership with Roblox, which I guess is a bit more for children, I suppose, that play this game, but, um, you know, you can interact with different games and, um, meet with different people. It's like an almost online world of its own. Um, and then also you have NFTs, which uh, I think they're called FIFA Genesis, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, specifically these NFT, these NFTs, I think have been the the major sort of metaverse uh, interaction that I can think of, specifically with the World Cup, because what's really cool is they. Uh, entail various moments from the world cup and you can collect them so you can have i don't know iniesta's goal from 2010 in the world cup final as an nft um so yeah i, th I thought that was very cool but um yeah i myself i'm not extremely well versed in the metaverse so i think it's a fascinating you know subject and um i think that you know football and the metaverse i can you know see it really being a a big thing um yeah i mean i think in the from the contractual point of view i think it would be extremely interesting to see how it develops um when i was a lse and i was doing my llm i wrote a, a summative assessment on so it was kind of like a mini dissertation on um smart contracts and cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and how that interacts with english contract law um so yeah i thought that was Back in the day, that was really, really a cool thing. I can't imagine like anytime soon players would want to be like paid in, you know, crypto. I mean, it's it's happening in other sports, um, like the UFC and mixed martial arts. Uh, some of the contracts have been executed in in Bitcoin. Like, there's a big uh, there's a big fighter in the heavyweight division. His name's Francis Ngannou, and half of his um purse from winning a fight was paid in bitcoins um I so mean, it does I mean, exist it, it's I mean, it's it's really fascinating yeah i think that you know again it's an interesting um interesting subject um personally i don't think i would want half of my winnings to come in crypto maybe maybe a little bit i think i would have um fear of missing out if i rejected you know any percentage but it's a bit risky maybe like <laughs> i don't know five percent or whatever the recommended threshold is when when you invest somewhere um well i don't think i'm going to get paid in crypto anytime soon especially not from um any kind of sports but uh, i mean as long as i can't buy a coffee with cryptocurrency then i don't want to be paid in crypto <laughs> Put it I that mean, way. can you buy coffee in crypto i know that you can buy uh, you probably can in, in, in south korea or something because they're very technologically advanced i could see that being the case but amc take crypto you can go see a movie and pay in crypto exactly <laughs> to the moon <laughs> Um, so what career steps can one take to become a sports lawyer? I think the first step is just getting involved somehow. I mean, sports is, in my opinion, a very tight-knit uh, community or industry um, in the sense that there's not a lot of demand for lawyers in the sports world and um i wouldn't say that everyone knows everyone but for example a good submission before cas i think will spread quickly and the person that submitted that will have a very good reputation um so cas being the court of arbitration of sport uh and so i think just getting work experience and informing yourself about the industry um, specifically because it is so 
self-contained with regards to the nature of the laws that apply uh, and football, especially with the regulations. Um, I think networking is very important. I think specifically in the last few years, what's of extreme importance is um, being international, being you know open-minded, because football specifically, but also other sports, um, they're very transnational. You know, they have these principles of law that apply universally, um, and you could have. And I mean, I wrote, I wrote a statistic recently that out of all footballing contracts, twenty percent are international. So the player and the club are from a different country. And I think 20 years ago or before the Bosman ruling, that wasn't the case, you know, under UEFA's regulations, um, you could have a maximum of, I think, three foreign players and then two additional ones that have already been in that country for five years. So if you think about that back then and today, where you have elite teams where the majority of players weren't, you know, trained in that country or came for a large transfer fee. Um, again, I think being international, being able to speak multiple languages, having an open outlook on various jurisdictions and legal concepts is very important. So, yeah, I would I would name those two things. I'd say networking and the international character. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that'll be really helpful to um, our listeners that are interested in a career in sports. Law. Of course. Um, I just think networking is such a, a big thing for um, student lawyers to do. Um, I think especially nowadays because so many people study law and there's such a large supply of lawyers that it's important to, I mean, obviously there's also demand for lawyers in general, I think. Um, because every day, you know, there's new legal concepts that need to be addressed or there needs to be some kind of access to justice, which is easy. And you don't have to necessarily go to a, a slaughter may and pay thousands for, you know, a mandate. So I think, um, especially because of that, it's important to build a strong network that could get you access to clients or can also, you know, put you into a position where you might be able to join a law firm in sports or a law firm in media that has a sports team. Um, so, yeah, again, I think those are really important things to keep in mind. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so what characteristics and traits do FIFA look for in its legal counsel? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> AKA I'm how not... can aspiring sports lawyers get a job at FIFA? <laughs> I'm not in human resources, but um no, I think what I mentioned earlier, they're very important, I think. Experience of some sort, so um, maybe an internship in sports law or having worked at a law firm which has a sports practice is very important. You know, when I was at ISDE doing my master's, which I, I think that master, in, like FIFA has a sports master or a sports law master, it's called the FIFA master. And, it's not it's not specifically sports i should clarify that it's sports law sports business and sports psychology i believe um so there's the fifa master and then there's the is they master in international sports law and i would say that these two are pretty much the uh headline academic programs in sports law uh which for i would say for any prestigious position in sports those are recommended of course they're not mandatory um but you know they're very well viewed upon i'd say um and sorry what was your question again um it was yeah so how to yeah exactly sorry that's okay <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i think working experience but also education in the sports sector is quite interest uh, is quite useful and almost i would say mandatory because of the specific nature of our sector um and yeah i mean i've spoken to a couple of colleagues of mine which were maybe looking to get into sports law um i think submitting unsolicited applications to maybe smaller football clubs because they they deal with all of the facets that come within you know sporting such as dealing with regulations dealing with maybe 
I don't know, a player gets a yellow card, you have to appeal it to the dis- relevant disciplinary body or dealing with the books of that certain club or various sponsoring or sponsorship agreements, things like that. You know, nobody's going to turn down free work, I think. And it helps you immensely in getting some experience and getting an insight into the sports world. I mean, I remember I was in London still during my uni days, during my undergrad days, and I'd written some emails to agents companies in London. And uh, I was just thinking, you know, what would be the best way to maybe get in touch? And one of them actually uh, replied and set up a coffee meeting with me. And, um, you know, they were very, they were very insightful and transparent and saying, look, uh, it's important to know people in sports, in football, and it's important to understand what football is, what it works like. Um, and so even though like I didn't, I didn't join that agency, uh, it, that meeting in particular, um, was instrumental because it it showed me that yeah well you might not know anyone but at least you have a direction to go into you know yeah so yeah i think if like it's it's a risk in a sense specializing so early and i've been told that as well that you know it's maybe easier to go into commercial law and transition into sports law later i think that's probably also the traditional way of doing it because there are big law firms that have sports oriented teams in them um and in that way you can sort of maybe feel yourself a bit into the industry understand what everything's about um but then there's also a bit of a more direct approach uh where you know you can just dedicate everything you have to sports law and um i think people that are consistent and people that uh keep doing what they're doing essentially uh, eventually they're going to get settled i think in the in 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 sports um and again i mean it's such a tightly knit community that uh longevity is is a big factor because at some point i think you're going to find a place that you're really happy in yeah absolutely it's about you know um I think that everything you've just said is just such fantastic advice, you know, starting off in maybe perhaps like smaller places and meeting people, you know, climbing the ladder, getting um, more opening doors for yourself, like just getting these small opportunities that can lead to big ones. Um, I think that's really great advice. And when you're talking about um, two different ways of, you know, entering the um, uh, profession as a sports lawyer, going down the private practice way or, you know, working, doing commercial work or going straight into, um, you know, in-house. I think they're both great and it just depends on, you know, the person. Um, I mean, so some of the listeners will know this about me, but um, I'm a career changer and I actually qualified to be a hairdresser and I had the option to, you know, um, uh, try a mix of cutting and colouring or go and specialise, you know, in colour straight away, move to London yeah. and um, get that specialist degree. And that, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to do that. And it kind of just, when you're talking about, you know, going straight into private practice and sports law, it just reminded me of that. And although I was advised to, you know, really kind of like find out what I really wanted to do, I was very sure that it was colouring that I wanted to do. Um mm-hmm. Okay, I hold my hands up and I did have a career change. However, you know, at that time, and if I did carry on in in that career, I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Um, but I can yeah. see how both both um, uh, paths can work for different kind of people. So, um, I just no, I agree. I think it's a, that point. It's a great, it's a great analogy. I think. Um, I mean, also the thing is, like, whilst that's the case, there's also situations in which you might think that one specific thing is what you've always wanted and um it's the best thing possible but actually sometimes you get pushed into situations that you know you're out of your comfort zone and maybe they're not immediately what um you think might be the best thing for you but then you just stay in that situation and you deal with it and it ends up being the best thing that could have happened to you in that situation. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Do you know what? I actually 
I don't, I mean, I don't enjoy putting myself in awkward and uncomfortable situations, but when I am in one, um, I do quickly recognize that I will come out of it and I kind of like enjoy the challenge. Um, yeah, I mean, diamonds yeah. are made under pressure. <laughs> Sink or swim, that's how I see it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so can you tell us, does FIFA offer in-house training contracts? I mean, it's a tricky one because as opposed to maybe uh, a civil law context um, or specifically English law, I think training contracts are a very English phenomenon. Um, and in general, it's not the same as being in a law firm because of the fact that it is strictly regulatory. Um, so you're not necessarily, you don't, you don't join FIFA and after two years or whatnot, you obtain a qualification as a sports regulator or as a sports lawyer. It's more of a working your way up within the corporate structure and um, obtaining different responsibilities with different positions. Um, so it, it's not necessarily like a, an institution where there are specific qualifications which are recognized you know in other jurisdictions or other institutions um per se so the short answer is no the longer answer i just gave you <laughs> yeah <laughs> what i take from that is student lawyers in the uk get your training contracts become you know qualified and then maybe branch out you know into in-house counsel at fifa yeah i mean the, the good thing about arbitration um for example if you become a sports lawyer you don't necessarily have to be um, at the bar in one jurisdiction. Um, as long as you have a legal education and you have the power of attorney from your clients, right. you can appear before an arbitral, an arbitral tribunal and represent your client. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really less formalistic, I would say, and, and makes it more accessible in a certain way than, than regular legal practice. I see. Yeah. Um, so we are approaching the end of the interview. I have a few more questions to ask you. One of which is, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? It can be career or, you know. I would say the three most important, specifically with regards to, I would say, professional goals and career orientation. I think consistency is very important. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up. I think being patient, um, just because things don't necessarily work out at one point, uh, doesn't mean that they won't work out at a future point in time. Um, I mean, for example, to tell you a personal analogy, I had gone for an interview at a big magic circle firm in London and I thought the interview had gone quite well, but uh, I didn't end up getting the position. And it was really disappointing for me because I thought, wow, I mean, maybe I could have done this a bit better or that. But I thought generally, like, I had given it a good shot, you know, and it was a bit disappointing that I didn't get the role. But a couple of months later, I'd started my master at ISDE and, you know, then I got the offer to work at FIFA. and turns out that something that I thought was maybe the best thing that could have happened to me was getting that training contract. Actually, no, something better was waiting for me down the line and I couldn't be happier at the moment. So I think patience is important. And with that faith as well, having faith that at some point I'll be somewhere where I'm going to be happy and which is the right place for me, which I certainly feel is the, is the case right now. So yeah, consistency, uh, you know, working hard and being consistent, um, being patient and having some faith. I don't think there's, I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody, but um, I think everyone that's embarked on this journey as, you know, a lawyer or pursuing a legal career has found some kind of place which gives them satisfaction in what they're doing because the law is in itself, I think, a beautiful discipline. So, yeah, I think everybody sort of, will find something that makes them happy eventually if they just keep at it.
Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, consistency, patience and having faith, those are just, you know, three ingredients that um, I think will make a you know, perfect recipe for success. So, um, you know, fantastic advice. Thank you for sharing that. And it looks like you have sorted yourself out a skin routine, but if you ever need any help, just holler at me <laughs> and I will. Um, I think it's just the camera that's doing me favours. <laughs> I'm sure not. Um, okay, so I did say I had two final questions. So the last one is, who's going to win the World Cup 2022? Mm, wishful thinking would be England. Um, I mean, if I had to choose any country in the world, it would probably be Romania or Italy, given as my parents are from there. But yeah. Italy's messed up and Romania we don't even have to talk about anymore. I can't remember the last time they qualified for a World Cup. I think it was 2002 and... South Korea and Japan. Um, but England, England, I've always had uh, a close connection to because I've spent a lot of time there and um, all of my friends are there and um, it's been an important part of my life. So I would say England, wishfully, uh, realistically, uh, we're going to have to get past France, which is going to be tough. Um, and after France, it'll probably be Portugal, if not Morocco. I mean, I'd like England to win. It's going to be difficult. If I had to go to the bookies, I'd probably say Brazil. Um, And I wouldn't be upset with it either. I mean, I've got so many Brazilian friends and I was in Rio just a couple of weeks ago for a conference. So um, I've got a lot of sympathy for Brazil. So if Brazil were to win, then I would be not just as happy, but almost just as happy. I always have two teams. I have... England and then whoever else is winning so <laughs> I'm, I'm on the safe side we're um we're reconvene you know um, in a, in a next Sunday next Sunday okay we'll touch base again then and see um see if um, you're new exactly is. I'll be oh, facetiming right. you after the final yes yes absolutely well thank you very much for um being a guest on the student oil podcast thank you for having me Honestly, it was an absolute pleasure. I've learned so much about um, sports law and what FIFA, you know, does. Um, this, I, hands down, this is the longest I've ever had a discussion about sports. Definitely the longest discussion I've had on football and absolutely the most enjoyable one as well. So I'm glad to hear that. So much for all of those reasons. And I, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it myself. Oh, good. I will uh, hope that you do come on um, again and we can, you know, talk about the future of cryptocurrency and see if all these predictions were right that we've had. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you so much once again. And thank you to everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Student Boy podcast. And we'll see you back again here next time. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.